Another edition of the Behind the You podcast, and we are joined by Casey Jones. Some say the best to do it at his position. He'll probably just say, Josh, shut up. But I know he uh, something he did that, that was, he was pretty good at was having fun. So I'm hopefully we're going to wrangle some stories out of him and on and off the field, Casey. So appreciate you doing this, buddy. Appreciate you having me. And uh, I never would have thought, never could imagine that I'd be talking to you about things that happened to me 30 years ago. Yeah, I was, you know, I was doing the math today. I was like, wait a second, 95, 2005, shoot, we're at about 30 years. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to believe, but keeps it fresh, man. I appreciate it. I'm always going to be a fan. There's always going to be a piece of me that is going to always be at the University of Miami. The friendships I made, the experience I had, the fraternity, it's a very special fraternity at the University of Miami, very unique shared experience. So I'm always uh, happy to talk uh, about those experiences and happy to talk to you tonight. So let me, let me ask Casey, uh, you know, I worked for Don Bailey Jr. I broadcast with Don Bailey Jr. You were part of our broadcast team at one point. Joaquin has been on here. I mean, we've had other offensive linemen on here. There's something unique about you guys. Like that group, that room. I mean, I've, I've known, I, I worked with Arquijo. I've been around Arquijo. The stories that come. Why is that room like the crazy room? Well, I mean, I think it goes back to the, this old axiom that says survival success. And before you survive a football team or a football season, uh, you have to survive your teammates. In the offensive line room, you're working with five guys that all have to be on the same page, and you're always going to challenge each other. And uh, the thing I learned at, at the University of Miami is that the five positions, they're all types of personalities. You know, left tackle is a certain personality, center is a certain personality, uh, guards are a certain personality. And uh, the mixture of those personalities creates success. And I think one thing I've, I've said it before with Art Kehoe, He's kind of the, that mad, uh, mad scientist and putting the right personalities, the right skill sets on the field in order to have a successful offensive line. And I think the unique part about the offensive line in, on any team is uh, you have to have that right mixture. You got to be able to communicate with these guys uh, on a play-by-play -play basis. You know, defensive backs are usually kind of on an island. They, they know what they have to do. Defensive ends, you know, they can get shut out for, for 60 plays and have one sack and they're the star of the game. On the offensive line, you know, you can play great for 60 plays and then have one sack. That's the worst game you've ever played. You know, you're on the front page. You lost the game. You gave up the sack in a crucial moment. It's, uh, it's a different psychology altogether with the offensive line. Yeah, but you guys are nutty, dude. You guys are nutty. Yeah, yeah. I think, I mean, I think that comes with being, spending a lot of time with each other too. And, uh, you know, I, I learned a lot from those guys in those 01 teams, the 2001, you know, two teams, those guys had those personalities and they meshed really well. You know, talk about a center as a type, you know, you have to have a certain personality as a center because you have to communicate with four teammates you have around you. You have to communicate the offense and you have to be able to, from a leadership standpoint, you have to be able to vocalize. You know, I think if you're not a center, you're a quiet guy as a center, you're not gonna be a center for very long. No one likes to play with a silent teammate, a guy that doesn't talk, doesn't respond, isn't able to communicate. And I think the center is a, a special position where you have a natural leadership position. You have to communicate. Being that guy, uh, you've got to be able to handle a lot. You've got to be able to handle a lot of criticism, a lot of jokes, uh, a lot of ribbon from your teammates. But also you get to, you get to dish it out as well. What'd they get on you for? What were they getting on you for? Man, dude, when they shaved my head, man, they called me Care Bear. I really, tried, <laughs> I really tried not to respond to that because I know the more I responded to it, the more they were going to call me Care Bear. So I knew, I kind of knew the story on that. Man, I was a young, I was a young, I, what was I, 17 when I came to the University of Miami. You know, I was, a, I was, I was young for my class and uh, I knew how to play football just because of, my, because of my upbringing in Midland, Texas, played for a storage program, Robert E. Lee High School in Midland. I learned from my dad who played college football in Wyoming. My brother preceded me at, at the position six years before. Uh, so I kind of knew, uh, I knew how to play football when I got to the University of Miami. But physically, you know, probably wasn't there yet. I show up, I'm about 240 pounds. And uh, I was squeezing out, I would say six, six foot two is where I was at. You know, I stay on my tippy toes. Was that real? Or was that pre was that Prescott yeah, six two? It's it's tippy toes. It's okay. tippy toes, but you won't catch me in a picture up without me on my tippy toes either. So that's it's legit, legit six two two forty. And uh, I don't know too many guys that showed up the first day of practice that were that size and able to compete immediately at the University of Miami. Any fear, or were you just ready to get after it? Dude, I was scared to death. 
Scared you dead. All right. At least the truth. At least the truth comes out. So yeah, man. Oh yeah. So give me like, so like first practice, first few pra- like a rite of passage. Like oh crap, this is. I think you get there, and uh, you know, first, you know, kind of stepping back, going through the whole process. I never thought I was going to play college football until like probably my senior year. I wasn't really aware of it. You know, I was getting letters, I was getting this or that, but my focus was solely upon playing in high school and taking care of that business. And that business was enough to keep me busy, you know, very demanding program, very regimented program at, at Lee high school uh, where we have an off season program. We had third period football, right? Nice. I don't know. Yeah, man. So right before lunch, you'd sprint out of your seat, whatever class you were in. I was in an English class my senior year and I knew I had to sprint to get to the locker room, to get dressed, to be ready on the mat in five minutes. So you had five minutes to get from your classroom, wherever that might be on campus, to the field house and be ready for your off-season uh, training program. And it was a daily challenge where guys were, I remember I had a, a good friend, Keith Boyd, that I played with from the second grade on. And he was so nervous and such a wreck, he would throw up even before he got to off-season training, just from nerves alone. I mean, it was, it was probably some of the most demanding training I've ever been a part of. But also gave you this, you know, once you got through that, you felt you like you could do anything, right? And so I was a little bit naive kind of coming from Midland, Texas, going to the University of Miami. I thought I had seen it all. I thought I was ready. And then you look at these guys when they walk into that big team meeting room for the first time. And these guys are, you know, there, there was these creatures that I had never seen before. You know, Pat Riley from, uh, from Louisiana, he was 6'6", I don't know, 290, not a shred of fat on him. You know, these guys just look... Just by the eye test, man, I'd never seen anything like it. And also, you know, when I came to the University of Miami, they were tops in the, in the country. You know, they just meet, beat Nebraska in the Orange Bowl for the fourth national championship. And these guys were the best in the country from an athletic standpoint and a cultural standpoint. And so when I show up, uh, I, you know, I kind of thought to myself, man, I made a big mistake. I made a terrible, terrible mistake. How am I going to do this? What am I going to do? And then I thought about what that would mean if I left and went back to Midland, Texas. No one from West Texas had ever endeavored to go to the University of Miami, never played a, a program like the University of Miami. Sure, we had guys go to Nebraska, had guys go to Texas, go to AM, Oklahoma, which were great programs at the time, but no one had gone to a national championship powerhouse clear across the country where you don't know anybody. And I took upon that, I took that challenge, I took it seriously, and I thought to myself, if I got sent home, what kind of a shame would that be for not only me, for my family? And that would, I'd be remembered as the guy that went to the University of Miami left. Did you ever utter the words to anyone in your family or anyone close to you? Ah, man, I, you know, I got homesick a couple of times and talked to Coach Ogeron. Ogeron was my recruiter. He talked to me, <laughs> right? That's got to be, wait, there got to be some good stories there. He told me a great story, right? That when I, you know, I was homesick my first week. And uh, I was playing well, you know, I was competing. I was holding my own. Um, Something about where I grew up, you know, one-on-one drills were something you did every day. Remember that third period football I talked about earlier? You know, that was basically in the springtime, like your junior year after the off-season program, we'd have something called spring ball where you had three weeks of football. And sure, we'd have practice and scrimmage after school with full pads and all that stuff. But third period football, they just line up a bunch of boards, and you'd line up offense and defense, and we just do one-on-ones for an hour. There'd just be like seven, like big 10 groups of one-on-ones, just one after another, one after another. And a one-on-one is just two guys lining up on the board and settling out, figuring it out. Pads or no pads? So we had shells on. We had like thigh pads and helmets. Well, it was full go. And so I think a lot of guys that aren't used to that kind of wilt under that type of pressure. But when I got to University of Miami, you know, they did this thing called one-on-one pass rush. I'd never done that before, but I knew that from my training at Lee, I knew how to handle myself one-on-one. I knew how to, to dip my hips. I knew how to get my hands inside. I wasn't doing it from a four-point stance in a wishbone offense anymore, like Midland. I was doing it in Dennis Erickson's spread offense from the shotgun. But all those fundamentals are the same. You know, there's things in football that don't change no matter what. And I already had a good upbringing. I had the fundamental basis for and foundation to be successful. So I came into camp, I was doing well, got homesick, as you might. And I remember going into Coach Ogeron's office and he says, oh man, he said, I thought you were Superman because I didn't show any emotion, I didn't react, I didn't like take any of the bait. 
uh, the, the upperclassmen try to get out of you to kind of reveal yourself. And I told him, man, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Like, how am I going to do this? And, you know, emotionally, I was all twisted up. I knew I was playing well. I knew I wasn't going to go home, but I had to tell somebody. So I told Coach Ogeron, and he tells me a story about when he grew up, he was recruited by LSU. And so that was his dream to go to LSU, right? So he goes to Baton Rouge. I think he's from 20 miles away. He goes to LSU, and he gets homesick, and he leaves LSU like the first or second week. And he said it was his biggest regret of his entire lifetime. You know, imagine this guy, man. You don't know him as a player. You know him as a coach. Started at University of Miami. Was at Syracuse. Was at USC. Was at Tennessee. You know, ends up being the head coach at uh, was at Ole Miss first, yep. right? Yep. Yep. Uh, then gets gets his shot at, at LSU. Gets gets to kind of relive his dream. But he still says to this day that his biggest regret was not hanging in there and getting over the you know this kind of a emotional challenge that that all football players go through I don't care where you where you go or who you are I think all of them have to get through it but he says to this day that it's his biggest regret and I took that to heart you know and then I kind of thought about my family I thought about myself and what was my mission going to University of Miami I wanted to play football I wanted to compete with the best in the country and no one could take that away from me right I knew I was good enough and if I let my emotions, my homesickness, you know, something that, that I wasn't used to, there's something new and uncomfortable. If I allowed this discomfort to, to get in the way of my success, I would regret it the rest of my life. So what did I do? I took that information, man. I wiped the tears out of my eyes, got back to work. And there were times that, you know, it wasn't easy. It was just, it was uncomfortable. I had a hard time explaining what was going on to my, my parents, my brother, but I got through it. And I think, you know, Getting through that hump, you know, getting through that discomfort as a young player is kind of the first step to their success, being able to own your emotions, to be able to own your, your situation, and also to accept the absurd. And I think that's something that you have to do at the University of Miami is accept these absurd things that are happening to you. All these things that I've been coached to do since I was in the second grade in Midland, Texas, this kind of tough, hard-nosed football, disciplined football that I grew up with. I took on the road to Miami and the light bulb went off that said, man, all these guys were right. All these things that I learned since the second grade playing football in Midland, Texas, I can take this stuff on the road and be successful. All these coaches were right. My brother was right. My dad was right. All my coaches were right. And I was right. Change the trajectory of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit miami.edu slash DCIE to learn more or call our enrollment advisors at 305-284-4000 to discover which course is right for you. So, you know, being being that you played in Texas and what Midland, Texas is West Texas. So is this like the Friday Night Lights type of deal, like that upbringing, that community, that culture, that whole deal, right? Yep. Wrote books about us. There's a movie out to go check it out. So what is that culture? I mean, I know you just kind of alluded to, it, but what why why is it that way in that part of Texas? I think you take it from, you know, what the what the culture is in the, in the town. And what you have in West Texas or people, if you've been to West Texas, man, it's it's like uh, they dropped a bomb and uh, set up a town right after. Like, it's just a flat, you can see 50 miles in any direction. It's a bunch of red dirt. There's no trees. There's a bunch of tumbleweeds. Uh, there's every kind of kit critter out there that can kill you. There's black widows, there's horny toads, brown recluse, there's rattlesnakes. Uh, and that's what, you know, that's what people played with. <laughs> you know, like, that's not, <laughs> didn't know any better. I'm not trying to spin a yarn here, but that's, that's kind of like the, the type of people that are out there. Salt of the earth, agriculture, oil, they say it's cattle, oil, and cotton. That's what the industries were in West Texas. And the people that manually worked those jobs, the people that were in my town and more so in, in Odessa, were hard-nosed, badass American, Americans that, that nothing could stop them from being successful and surviving. And they survived in a very, you know, just a nasty, terrible environment. It was nothing to look at. And so I think from that culture of that hard-nosed, disciplined culture, God-fearing culture, they instilled that in their young people, and they found that football was the best way for them to produce these hard-nosed, hard-working, disciplined people that would be the next leaders in their community. 
And so they saw football as a tool to improve their community and instill the values that they had. You know, a lot of people came back from, from World War II. This is kind of the history of football uh, in this country, but a lot of guys came back, you know, why the popularity of, of football exploded was all these guys coming back from World War II and they needed something to do, <laughs> you know? So I think that's how the, the culture developed within uh, West Texas football in my school and all the, all the schools in, in neighboring counties was they use it as a tool to improve their community and develop values and still the values that they want in their children that will eventually be the leaders of their community going forward. And in those cities, football is extremely important, right? Friday nights in those cities, it is the only thing, the must thing, whatever one. So from, from that KC, the amount of priority, the pressure, the value, whatever, did that help you play at Miami? I was ready to play football. I was ready. I knew how, like, I knew that when I stepped on campus at University of Miami, that I didn't know it then, but I know it now, that I knew how to play football probably better than 90% of the guys on that field. I wasn't as fast. I wasn't as strong. I wasn't as tall. I didn't have the experience on a college level, but I knew X's and O's. I knew how to study. I knew how to prepare for practice. And then when the lights were on, I knew how to play in a game. And I think that everything that I learned second grade on until I got to Miami, it all just prepared me for the next step and next phase of my college football career. And, you know, looking back on it, I was taking West Texas football. I was taking that on the road. It was a road show for West Texas football, and uh, it works. You mentioned earlier, Casey, about, you know, hey, the, the, you know, we were talking about the room, and the room's always a little crazy and a little off, and that makes that room unique. And you said, hey, but my position is the leader, and you got to have a voice. People don't like a silent teammate. So in high school, did you have that voice? Did you, all, did you have that voice when you were younger? And then when did you find it at Miami? voice as a center I don't care you know when you're playing competitive football you have to have two guys on offense that that are vocal leaders you got to have an, a quarterback I think that's the obvious one he's the obvious vocal he's got a role in the huddle he's got a role in the offense he's the one that you think of is going to be speaking he has the speaking role but not too many people think about the center and I had to call defenses I had to call offenses blocking schemes I had that responsibility to my teammates at Lee when I got to Miami, that role expanded. So I had a good start, but then it improved through my coaching all through the systems at Miami with Dennis Erickson's offense. And in Dennis Erickson's offense, I called the cadence, you know, really centers and shotgun. I call the cadence, you know, so that's, yes, you have to have a voice. You have to get over yourself a little bit. And I learned that going back to my brother who was a center before me. I remember he was six years older than me. So when he was a senior, I was, going into the seventh grade. And I remember going into his room and he had this like, you know, he had like notes that he was taking about playing. And then I remember he had this separate list of things I will do, colon. Number one, I'll step hard with my left foot. I'll make sure I get the snap. Number two, get the snap to the quarterback. Number three, call the offense. Like all these things that were like, I thought it was kind of hokey and corny. Like at the time, it was like, you didn't know in seventh grade, but now I realize, and I realized soon after that, how important that was. Like you have to get over yourself and you got to write things down that other people might see and criticize. They might snicker, but you know that you're doing the little things the right way, the things that are going to make you successful. And I think that that's another challenge for young players is kind of getting over yourself and putting yourself out there, opening yourself out, up, out there for criticism or for ridicule. And I remember when I got it, you know, that was something that the light bulb went off. My brother told me, he said, you do the little things right, you're going to be great. So when I came for my time to be on varsity, I had taped in my locker the 10 things that I was going to do. It's high school. High school. High school. 10 things I was going to do. And then it followed me to Miami, the 10 things I was going to do. And then it became a ritual that I would prepare at the beginning of the week and game day. So I'd always have my list of things that I would do. And I think those become mantras to you. And you kind of, you think it, you say it, you think it, see it, you think it, you see it, write it down, you say it, you verbalize it, then you do it. And so I think those little things, those things that I learned at a young age, you develop those things further and they become more and more impactful. You know, they helped me be successful in high school. They helped me be successful in college and they helped me be successful in the National Football League. 
Make this the day your life changes. The all-new UFIT Gyms has been created to give you exactly what you need to accelerate your fitness results, including state-of-the-art equipment and a new cross-functional turf training area. Enjoy personal training as low as $35 and new small group training classes, including HIT Plus. Take it to the next level with personalized nutrition from Eat Love, along with anywhere, anytime access to UFIT on demand with over 1,000 workouts. Reach your goals faster at the new UFIT Gyms. Who else had that voice on your teams? And how important was it to have players to have that voice and to bring others with them and to withstand what you said if there was going to be yeah. ridicule or people making fun of them and say, nah, I'm yeah. right, you're wrong. Yeah. Let's go. It's one of the most important lessons that I learned at the University of Miami is that I was like very surprised that the locker room in the Orange Bowl before a game. And I remember coaches, you know, you go through your pregame, you go back in, your position coaches get you with your group. Coach Erickson brings it up, has his speech. And then there's like, there's about 50 guys that tell them they throw them out of the locker room. You know, this is our, they basically, they say, get the hell out. This is our team. And we're, we got it from here. And that ownership of your team, the players own the team. That was a concept that I wasn't familiar with but actually rings true. Coaches bring you up to a, they put you in a best position to win the game up until kickoff. And then after kickoff, it's all those guys on the field. You know, you can make adjustments. There's plays that are going to be called, but these guys on the team, although the starting 22, those are the guys that are going to dictate whether you succeed or fail. And you have to own that. You have to take responsibility. And a big part of that is, is understanding that idea and then being able to vocalize that idea and I remember guys like Gino Toretta, guys like Kevin Patrick, Royston Medeiros, guys like Warren Sapp, guys like, gosh, man. I mean, I had, to, I had to step up eventually too, you know? But there was always guys that taught the younger guys, you know, this is part of your culture. This is what's expected. And one day you're going to be expected to do the same thing because this is how we've done things and this is how we've been successful. And I think somehow... During the course of the past 30 years, it's not unheard of. It's kind of reasonable to think that some of that has been lost. And I think when Mario comes in, he's got the blueprint. He's improved upon that blueprint, and he's going to get these guys right. Do you know Mario? Yeah, Mario is a mentor. So Mario's one of those guys, too. Mario's a guy that, that stood up, threw the coaches out, and said, we got this. He was, a, he was the leader. He was the leader of that offensive line uh, group. He was probably the, I mean, next to Gino, Lamar. Uh, then probably Mario were the leaders of that offense in 92. And that's a team that competed for a national championship. They weren't able to close the deal against Alabama in the Sugar Bowl. But amazing, amazing team. And I think from that, Mario is, you know, played professional football. He's a coach at heart. He knew that. He always knew that his dream was to be the head coach at the University of Miami. And now, you know, crazy 30 years later, that dream is being actualized. And it's, uh, it is a dream come true, not, for, not only for him, but for all the Miami players that always thought that something was missing at the University of Miami. And it's the player's point of view. It's the stuff that we grew up with. We knew how important it was. And now it's being reflected in the new phase of the University of Miami. It's refreshing to know that not only do people view football like you, but they also have success with your philosophy of football. And I think that's what Mario brings to the table now. And how much of that is, in your opinion, centered on your room, right? That mindset, that toughness, all of that. I think it's that. I think it's growing up in Miami and understanding the culture, right? I think just like I was trained to be who I was from where I came from, Miami's got a certain flavor. It's got a certain edge, a certain hunger, a certain swagger, a certain nastiness, a certain way of doing things. It it's was funny you say, it's funny you say, sorry to cut you off. It's sorry you say nastiness, because I think when people think today, looking back or today, what's missing, yeah, everybody, you need good players, talent, whatever. I mean, that's, that's obvious, right? But it's that word you said that that's kind of not swag, the nasty, right? The nastiness and the mindset. Dog, right? You got to be able to be a dog. And part of being a dog is, is getting your ass whooped and coming back. And coming back and coming back and coming back. And, and I'm, I'm not, and that still exists in football. I mean, being a dog and having that nastiness is still a part of the game. You see it on Sundays, you see it on, uh, on Saturdays. But again, I think maybe it has been lost at the University of Miami. But uh, I know that that's part of Mario's game. I know that's part of those, that staff. I think they all understand that. I think that's going to lead to more success. 
I think everybody's kind of, everybody's kind of holding their breath right now, waiting for that to happen. Doesn't happen, hasn't happened yet. You know, I watch the games too. Everybody turns the film on. I don't see it just yet. I think we're pressuring time. I think those things will happen and people will be happy with what they see. So I can't believe we're like 25 minutes into this and, I, and I'm just getting this. How in the world did you get from Midland, Texas to Miami? <laughs> like, you know, like you said, it was like another part of the world. I mean, not that Miami, Miami had recruited Texas and, and there's been Texas players that come through, but how'd they get you? Like I kind of told my kind of my origin story with my dad. Football was important to my family. My dad played at University of Wyoming. My brother was a center that preceded me. When you're in first grade and they're writing out, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a football player. That was my dream because I wanted, you know, that was important to my family. I was important to my father. I knew my brother was doing it. There was kind of an absolute what I wanted to do going forward. And so that kind of followed me. And then our family moved to Midland, Texas in 1980. I was six. And uh, we were pretty shocked and pleasantly surprised at how much emphasis they put on um, not only football, but all extracurriculars. And I think it's the best place to grow up in the country. Uh, it's not much to look at, but if you're in the band or if you're in choir, if you're on debate, if you're in mathematics, you want to be an engineer, there's a support system in Midland, Texas, and I think all in West Texas, that the community around you will do anything to help you succeed. And uh, that's what we found in Midland, Texas, and the football was really easy to plug into. And so, you know, I grew up playing in Little League football with all the guys that I would eventually play with in high school. We huddled the same. We had the same formations. We had the same offensive system, same defensive systems, same drills, same warmups. So by the time that you graduated to be a freshman or sophomore on the varsity, you knew exactly what to do. You just got in line. And you always kind of knew the history growing up of, you know, who the rival rivalry was. Our foil was Odessa Permian. That's, that's the book Friday Night Lights was written on. But that was our rivalry, and that was your measuring stick. Did you have a successful season? Did you beat Permian? All right, so what's a, a Friday night against Odessa? What's that like? That's like UMFSU type stuff. Let's put it this way. I played in front of more people in my last high school football game than I did in my first college football game. I played Odessa Permian 110 miles away in Lubbock, Texas, at Jones Stadium at Texas Tech, and there was 35,000 people in the stands. That was 1991. 1993, I played against Boston College and Chestnut Hill in Boston College, and there was 26,000 people there. So I imagine, I imagine at a young age, you learn how to handle success, losing, you learn how to take direction, right? Because of the immense amount of uh, yeah. scrutiny, scope, and importance that the sport is in your town. You had these exhilarating wins and you had these crushing defeats, right? You had this, these emotional swings that are hard to accept. They're, they're great. You know, everybody loves a win, man, but... When you get your ass kicked and you get buried and you get embarrassed, you got to come, you wake up the next day and you got to get back to work. I think that's a lesson that football teaches everybody. It just, it was taught to me at an early age. So I came up through high school. I didn't really get it until like, that was kind of like one of the most important moments of my life was seeing that list that my brother had that made it real. And that made it me want to be that. And, uh, you know, I was playing fullback in, uh, in junior high. And I was terrible, <laughs> you know, <laughs> terrible. And uh, I knew how to get in a four-point stance because we ran the wishbone and I'd been a lineman before. And, you know, by the time I got to ninth grade, my body started changing. And then by the time I was a sophomore, I was, I was ready to go. And I started as a sophomore. I don't think something that had been done in my high school before that. And I remember I was a very emotional player. I remember being in the huddle a lot of times with tears in my eyes and just like, uh, not knowing how to control my emotion. And uh, I think that's, I was able to, because of where I played and the coaches around me and the sport I had, I mean, most people kind of like, ah, stay away. But there were players on my team that talked to me about it. And they're like, why are you so upset? What's going on? Why are you always in tears? Why are you, why are you freaking out? And so that kind of helped me. And I think having mentorship and having people support you, you know, where else was I going to get that at the time? My parents probably, but Parents don't really, I don't think any parent really knows what a 16-year-old kid is going through. So having that and having that support system around me helped me kind of get a hold of my emotions and kind of made me a better person. Fast forward until uh, I was a senior and I was making all state teams and all district teams and all that. And I wanted to continue my football career. My parents didn't think it was a good idea for me to be recruited during my senior year. So we cut off all communication to all the schools. <laughs> 
Well, that wouldn't go over too well these days. Well, by the time it popped up, I mean, is is the takeaway. It's genius. It's the, they wanted me more. Always leave them wanting more. So yeah. by the time I popped up after my senior year, we played Permian, 35,000 people. We lost. They went on to win the state championship, national championship that year. I stayed home, watched it on TV. But then we turned the switch back on, and I was getting letters from everybody. Everybody. You know, thanks for taking my letter. This, this, and that. Schedule called. I got offers from everybody. Washington, USC, UCLA, Texas, Texas A&M, Auburn, Florida, Florida State, Miami, Notre Dame, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, you name it, uh, Colorado, Nebraska. It just kind of like it started. They saw something in me that I did, maybe I didn't even see, but I knew how to play football. And I think that was, you know, probably what they, what they saw. And so I took my five trips. My parents were always kind of like, well, you should do this. You should do that. I'm allotted five trips. I gave my parents two trips. They picked Duke and Rice. Right. <laughs> I mean, for the grades, for the education, which I'd probably do. I'd tell my son the same thing. I knew that I didn't fit there. I went to Oklahoma after that. And that was kind of like during the, I forget the coach's name there, but they were rebuilding. They were just trying to get back to it. And then I went to uh, Rice, which I really, really enjoyed. I like the, I like what they had to say, but the problem is they won 10 games a year or sorry, not 10, two games. Yeah. Different. So wait a second. What pro, wait, did I miss something in college yeah, football yeah, history? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ten, 10 games in five years. Right. There you go. That makes more sense. Then I went to AM. They were pounding their chest and they win seven games a year. And uh, I never liked losing, man. I just, uh, when I went to Miami, I kind of knew, you know, what they were about. I saw them on TV and uh, I saw them. They played Arkansas, got Arkansas, embarrassed Texas. They went up to Tech and hung 50 on them. Rustin Deers had nine sacks or something like that. Like I saw them when they come like play regional teams. And then I saw the Notre Dame games. I saw them beat Nebraska. I saw, you know, I saw them beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma and Nebraska were the big, the top dogs, especially regionally. Right. I remember my freshman year, Jake Young was an All-American center at Nebraska. So, so Jake comes and talks, talks to the freshman team and like inevitably, you know, smart ass, not me. My boy Chico says, what happened against Nebraska? Or what happened against Miami? Because everybody's Miami fans. And Jake said, too big, too strong, too fast. This is the biggest badass I know saying that these guys were too big, too strong, too fast for him. I need to pay attention. And then my sophomore year, our coaching staff, the high school coaching staff, coached the North-South game in Dallas, like the Whataburger All-Star game. And guess who was on the North team? My, my coach's team. Jesse Armstead. I sat in Texas Stadium and I watched Jesse Armstead make 50 tackles. <laughs> like he made every tackle on the field, like legitimately. And these were all guys that were going to college. These guys were all the best of Texas. And he made them all look like kids. That kind of made me, me think about it too. So when it was time to pick my trips, I picked Miami. And I think looking back on it, I wanted to go to Miami. <laughs> Because who's going to go to Texas A&M or Oklahoma or Rice or Duke after, after you go to Miami? But I had to figure it out. And I met Coach Ogeron was a big impact on me, recruiting-wise. He was there when I signed my letter of intent. And he said, you know, he's, I can't wait to introduce you to Art Keogh. And I met Art Keogh on my trip, too, man. Between those two guys, I was sold. You know, I wanted what they had, that enthusiasm and that, like, nastiness. I wanted that. I made up my mind and I think I disappointed a lot of people that wanted me to stay in Texas, but I mean, look at me now, man, I'm in Denver. I, you know, I think there, there's one thing that kids need to know when they engage in the recruiting process is you're not just signing your name for five years. You're signing your name for life. You know, Miami's always going to be a part of my life. I recently moved back about five years ago to be close to the family. It's not the last you've seen of me, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm always going to be back. I'm, I have a ton of friends there. I have great memories. Miami's the baddest city in America. I always come back to that. But I took my recruiting trip. Brad Shiru was my host from Boca Raton. And then Kevin Patrick, who I love. I love both those guys. I'm still in contact with them today. Kevin Patrick kind of took notice of my, you know, I was beating my chest. Not, you know, I just, I just thought I was a badass because I was like, oh, I made up my mind. I know where I'm going to go. But I'm not going to tell these guys that. I told, I told Kevin Patrick that I'm going to A&M this place. <laughs> <laughs> And Kevin Patrick, we were driving away from the Taurus and we're driving back to drop me off at the hotel. 
And I tell him this, I said, I'm not coming here. Screw this place. Y'all suck. And, uh, you know, just trying to get a rise at him, just trying to like be cool. And Kevin Patrick leans over and tells Shiree, <laughs> he tells Shiree to pull the car over. <laughs> uh oh. And man, we squared up on the middle of Main Highway. What? Yeah, man, it was my recruiting trip. And uh, Shiree breaks us up and drops me off, drops Kevin off. And I'm like, man, maybe I should have handled that different. But uh, I, I called Shiree the next week and said, hey, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm coming, but everything cool? And he said, yeah, man, we do that all the time, man. You just, you're going to get used to it. You know, it was the best decision I ever made in my life. The best, hands down, the best decision I made in my life was go to University of Miami. When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car, truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Lebovic Law Group. At Lebovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lebovic. Lebovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor of the Miami Hurricanes and proud sponsor of all things you. Go you! In your Hall of Fame speech for UM, you just, the, the words that kept coming out were just the joy you played with, the intensity you played with, how much fun you had. You liked to just, I think Kehoe wrote a letter about you would fight someone. That must have been your home, like your space, right? It was just on the football field. No better place for me, man. Like I look back in any of those other places, I could have gotten like lost in the wash. I wasn't big enough, I wasn't tall enough. I did have knee injuries going into it. You know, I could have gotten lost anywhere else. But I think at UM, they, you know, first off, they had never seen anything like me. And then I think at that time that they let people be creative. That's a good word, Casey, creative. Yeah, I mean, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there wasn't anybody like Michael Irvin before Michael Irvin, you know? Yeah. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't anybody like Warren Sapp before Warren Sapp. You know, there wasn't anybody like Ed Reed before Ed Reed. And that comes with coaches allowing guys to develop and, you know, be themselves and have personalities and try new things on the field and be creative. That's, I think that's something that, that Miami should pride themselves on, man, because the players, all those guys in the Hall of Fame, all the All-Americans, those guys, there's nobody like us. There's nobody like us anywhere. And uh, I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to just kind of be myself at the University of Miami. You know, like do try things new. Like maybe it's, you know, maybe I got a different way of doing things and coaches, I think, appreciated that. They appreciated success and they appreciated, you know, you're going to tell me what to do X and O's, but come Saturday, man, I'm going to figure it out. You know, I don't think any coach in America is going to tell anybody to freelance or do that. But I think if you lose the ability to try new things and challenge yourself, I think you're losing a big part of your athletic ability. And when I went to University of Miami, like I said, they never seen anything like me. I tried new things and I like I created the player I wanted to be. And never did Coach Keo say, you're not doing the right thing or, or Coach Smith tell me I wasn't doing the right thing. He told me to calm down a couple of times. You know, they told me to chill out. I get flagged uh, during a drive. I'd get flagged for a personal foul for just doing a little bit too much. And I knew, you know, even if we scored, I'm coming off the sideline. Coach Erickson is going to rip me. You have that oversight. But never did they tell me I'm not doing the right stuff. Their measuring stick was success and dominance. Where'd that, where'd that joy, like, I think it was either you said it or it was said about you, that joy of kicking someone's ass. Like, where did that come from? There's nothing like it, man. I learned it in high school. And then I think it was fun for me, too, like showing up at 6'2 and 240 and, like, shocking people and surprising people. I think that's a big part of it. But I think what football is, is, you know, you're trying to, well, at least where my position was, I got to make the call. First, my first priority is get the ball to the quarterback. Second one is to be able to explain the offense and defense to my, to my teammates. And then, you know, after that, it's, I got to beat this guy up across from me. That's it. That's my responsibility. And I, I got to dominate this guy. I got to find a way, whether it's the first play or the last play to break this guy's will. I think that's a big part of football. I mean, I think that I'll always be a big part of football. I don't think you'll ever lose that because it's so it's competitive it's in your face. I mean, you look people in the eyes every play. I got a lot of enjoyment out there, but, but, but again, I don't know any other way to play. Did your dad have a part of that? Yeah, man, for sure, dude. I remember getting in my dad's uh, Delta 88 after games and being like, you didn't do this. You didn't, you know, he'd give me the, he'd give me the scorecard. And uh, that was my accountability check. Like I get, I get checked every, you know, from practice games, wherever he was at, I get a check. What I said, I said, you know, you're right. You're right. It's, uh, you know, 
I think I could do better. I could be better. And I found that the only way, the best way to do it is to do it hard, fast and mean, man. Uh, and, and unrelenting and like do things that nobody else can do. And by the end of it, these guys would be like, I don't want to come back on the field again. You know, that was kind of my aim. Like I heard, remember Roberto Duran and the no Moss. Yeah. No Moss, baby. That's a win. That's what you, that's what you're trying to achieve. When that guy doesn't want to come back on the field, you win, you win. So you mentioned sap earlier. Yeah. Uh, I think Gino was on here. Did he start off as a tight end? Either start off as a tight end or Toretto said he could have been an all American tight end. Like he was a freak athlete. He could have been all American anything. That guy was a special, special athlete and a smart player too, man. I, I think that's, I think people always want to kind of dismiss Sap as just being like a physical talent, man. But that guy, he studied the game. He made me a better player for sure. As an offensive lineman, there's certain things you do in your stance and pre, pre snap, pre snap reads where you know, he knew when the ball was going to be snapped, like he would actually be in a three technique and he could look under my legs and see the quarterback's hands. And he understood the cadence was when the quarterback would kind of flex his top hand. Like who does that? Nobody does that. Nobody has the awareness to do that. He certainly did, man. He was a, he was a great player. And he was like one of those guys that, you know, every day of practice, I mean, my job, you know, I knew what my job was on Saturday and then I knew what my job was on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And it was to beat Warren Sapp. Like that was my, that's kind of how I measured myself and my practice and my preparation was being able to win one-on-ones with him. And uh, it wouldn't happen every time, but it happened enough. I knew how to take care of uh, myself in those situations with Warren. And I uh, didn't really have a good friendly relationship with him in college. Is that because of just getting after it all the time or just the nature yeah, of the personalities? Mean, it, was it was dirty and nasty, man. You've been out the green tree field and seen those practices, man. It's like, no, it's like a bloodbath every day. And it's not like you're not, you know, it's your teammate. Sure. But not really, you know, that's the guy that's, it, it's trying to make you look bad. And uh, that's kind of how I took it. I personalized everything. That's one of my hidden talents is being able to personalize things. But he, uh, he made me a, certainly a better player and he was, by far one of the greatest ones, man. In those moments, could you appreciate his ability? Oh, for sure, man. I mean, I, dude, I remember we would line up. Coach Roll was the strength coach, and we'd go out to the – it's now the soccer field, but it used to be the track field, but it has a track around it. We'd run 800s, 400s, 200s, 100s, 100s, 200s, 400s, 800s. We'd run that before we did our rest of our conditioning. And they'd break it down by groups. It'd be skill guys. It'd be skill guys and then big guys. So big guys are defensive line, offensive line. And I'd run with Sap, figure like, this is the guy I need to run with. I'm going to be going to be competing with him all season long. And this is the measuring stick. I'm going to run next to him all whole time. And he's faster than me, <laughs> you know, but I, you know, I'm willing to kind of put it out there and find a way to do it. And, but he was like the measuring stick for any type of offensive lineman during that era. You know, we didn't have a friendly relationship. It was very competitive. But then when we, once we got out, and I think it was during the, when I was the president of Hall of Fame and I was doing a fishing tournaments or whatever. Every time I call Sap, man, he'd pick up on the first ring and he would, he would, he made me feel genuinely that he really uh, was looking forward to my call. And every time I asked him to, to come down to an event to participate, he was there. He was the first one there. He always said some nice things about me, heard nice things that he said about me on the radio. And it always felt really good you know, for someone that is a superlative at his position to say nice things about me. That definitely felt good. Definitely felt really good. But beyond that, man, he was a, he's a, I think he's a misunderstood guy, a guy that uh, is a true cane turned out to be one of my, one of my best friends from my experience at university of Miami. What about Ray? Same thing with Ray, man. Ray, when he came in as a freshman, we were running half, half drills, like half line drills. And I kind of got the better of him. So it's like, guard center tackle we're running like a, a zone and i was getting the better of him and i turned my back on him and he just like next thing i felt was these arms wrapped around my waist and him and then i was like i looked at the sky i was he was dumping me on my back he like suplexed me over his head on my head <laughs> and i got up and i was like man what i don't really understand what just happened but that was ray man he was sneaky strong and like one of the best athletes i ever played against man I would imagine you had to respect his intensity. Oh, for sure. He was all about it, man. So that was a good, like, after Sap was gone, it was me and Ray. 
And I remember Butch Davis came in and we had a spring practice where Ray's gone. Who else has gone? Larry Jones is gone. That group of leaders was gone and they had to kind of figure out who was going to be the next leader. And so they would match up. I, I spoke to Chuck Bagano years later and he said, yeah, man, this was all scripted. They would script practice and they would script scrimmages to match us up, to match me and Ray up. And we'd get it on, man. We would get it on. And like, that's something that I was very familiar with, like a zone, getting on the next level and getting to a linebacker. That's kind of how we used to open up practice in my high school. That was kind of like the warm up. And uh, man, I got to be really good at, at getting on, getting inside on him and, and frustrating him to the point where I think, I don't know if you maybe heard the story before, but I got him one time and he swung on me and I pulled his face mask off of him. Oh, he's the one that heard, I read, I wonder if it was him. No, I saw the story, but his name off, was left out. They had out. to throw him off practice. They had to throw him out of practice. Because you ripped his face mask. You ripped his face, face mask, right? Off. And, and you know what I did, man? When he spoke, like when you talked about in the locker room, yeah. 50 guys getting up to kick everyone out, coaches out. So when he spoke, though. He's a dude. His voice, his voice rang true. He's the, the top dog, man. He's a top dog, you know, he's a top dog, but, but, uh, after me, you know, <laughs> you had, a, I think you had a freshman edger in James. Could you see it? Yeah, man. Yeah. He was like, I think you gotta be to be what Edrin, where Edrin is like, he didn't just show up and become the pro football hall of famer, dude. You know, like he, he worked his ass off to get there as a freshman and he knew how to do it, man. Like he knew how to do it as a freshman, like the hard work. And he would, he was totally committed to that process. And I think Don Sollinger will tell you the same thing, man, that he never had to tell Edrin to do anything twice. You know, he was ready to go day one. And uh, he's, he was like one of the most, like the coach, most coachable players that Don Sollinger has ever had. You know, you can't dismiss him just like showing up and being the best talent and like going to pro football hall of fame. He worked, man. He put in that work and he had to survive some down years at Miami, you know, where the program fell off. There was probation, you know, Butch Davis's first few years. And he was there kind of at the renaissance that turned into that 0-1 championship. Uh, he was one of those guys that propelled that team back to back to being the Canes that, that you want to turn the TV on and watch. Let's bring it back around full circle is that you said it before, but I'll give you the final, the final salvo, get on your soapbox and just kind of, Speak to what your belief in Mario. Here's my belief in Mario, man. All right. The first day, first time I really had any interaction with him was during practice. And I had torn my thumb up, my right thumb, my snapping hand during practice for the Florida State game. Fast forward a couple of weeks later, I'm on the field practicing with a, with a cast on my thumb and would run through drills. And I... Uh, I, I got, maybe I poked Mario in the neck or something with my cast, a little jabby, you know, just like, you know, running the drill and Mario was ready to fight, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Mario, Mario was ready to fight and I knew he was going to be. And, uh, you know, in the heat of the moment, it broke us up, whatever. But, uh, you know, that's what you expect from that guy. You know, he's in a position where it's rough and tough and he was a leader and that can't, that stuff can't stand. And uh, I remember a, a couple of weeks later after that, the room list for the Sugar Bowl came out and I was his roommate on the list. And I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a long week for me, man. This is terrible. I might not even survive this, but he didn't do that. You know, he uh, he took care of me. He kind of filled in a lot of the gaps that I was missing at the University of Miami with the history, the attitude, what the expectation is, how you win. He'd been part of uh, three championships by then. And his brother had been a part of two or maybe vice versa, but they had five rings in the family. And he told me his story. He kind of opened up to me and I was able to open up to him. And, and what we found was is, is that we shared the same philosophy and expectation of football and what you expect from yourself and what you expect from your teammates and how the game is supposed to be played with discipline and passion and all out effort all the time. You shouldn't take shortcuts. You should never cheat yourself in that way. And you should expect to win. You should, you know, I, I, I think that coming out of that week, man, I had a new appreciation, not only for him, but the, also the University of Miami. And I had a better understanding for it. And after that, you know, he graduated. He went out to the NFL, played overseas. But we developed a friendship and a kinship that will last forever. And it's reassuring to me that 
his outlook, this shared outlook of football and how it's supposed to be done is uh, he's had success with it everywhere he's went. And he's built upon that foundation like a dream come true. He comes back to the University of Miami. So not only is it a dream come true for him, it's a dream come true for me and a lot of former Canes, uh, Canes players that share that same outlook, that grew up the same way, that knowing that, that football is not supposed to be easy. It's not supposed to, it's not, doesn't happen just when the lights are on. It happens every day. And, uh, you know, kind of how you judge somebody is what they do when the lights are off. And that's how you become a champion. You know, that's how you become the best at, at who you are and, and fulfill your potential. And uh, I think that's, you know, I think he finds it his duty now to instill that in these new players, whether he's at FIU, whether he's at Miami or Alabama or Oregon. I think the same, the players will say the same thing, that Mario's not going to ask these guys to do anything he hasn't done. And uh, he knows the road to success. I think patience pays. I think time and pressure can uh, move mountains. And uh, it, it's reassuring to me that Mario's the, Mario's the boss at the University of Miami. And I'll always be grateful for my interaction with, with Mario. Man, he was the, first, he was the first, first time I ever felt love at the University of Miami was from him introducing me to his mom. His mom used to cook for us and make his capacitos at his, at his house. And it was just, uh, you know, I felt like, you know, you asked me about, you know, I'm back home in Denver, but I felt at home when Mario introduced me to his brother and his mom. I'll never forget it. I'll never, ever forget it. All right, my friend, this was good. You only cursed a few times. So that's okay. Woo! A lot of words, man. A lot of words. A lot of a lot of words. You ready to fill up? Put, put some I more. So many words. Yeah, put some more ice in that cup, dude, and, and right. compress. Josh, I appreciate it. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate it, man. It was a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. It is, man. Always go, Canes, baby.